midfielder. Can he tee up someone in red? And it goes towards Lundgren! Hello and welcome back to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand, and I have Logan Stump. What's going on, guys? We have uh, Matt just taking the week off here, and we will uh, hopefully have all of us together for Friday, if possible, for the uh, the midweek matches before the weekend matches, trying to avoid those two- to three-hour episodes that we do sometimes. <laughs> What's wrong um, with those? <laughs> uh, but we have some news, don't we, Logan? Uh, oh, uh, pertaining to the podcast. News. Breaking uh, not, news. Nothing else has happened other than these, this podcast news, mm. actually. Right. Nobody's gotten fired. Nobody's gotten <laughs> hired. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Especially not one of your teams. I mean, no. Uh, which, actually, we will talk about the Lampard stuff. That was not planned for this show until it broke this morning. So that was uh, quite the luck, I guess. Um, but if you have been listening before, you may have heard us talk about our sister or partner show, the Stateside Soccer Show. It's mostly been me. I've had my friend Rich on there. I've had my friend Todd on there, who does the Union podcast. And it's all American soccer stuff. We've plugged it a few times on here. But for this upcoming MLS season, we do have Mr. Logan Stump uh, joining me this this year. Yeah, and I just I want to thank you for the opportunity because you're my boss in both places. So. I'm so <laughs> that glad that I, I made the. Yeah, I, I think I guess technically by by uh, like production, I think that you are like you're like the producer. You're so you're you're the boss. Like you're the like editor, the Dan the Patrick, producer, the, the star, yeah, the, the Colin Cowherd, <laughs> the Taylor, you know, Trowell or. Anybody really? Not, not 12, the yeah. uh, not the Colin uh, Colin Coward, please. Um, no, Skip Bayless. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I don't come with takes that hot. I don't think. Mm. Um, but we do have a. We just launched a brand new logo for the new season. We have a new uh, scheduled date for the MLS season as well. That's coming up. So it's all coming together. And uh, we're actually going to be recording a beginner's guide to MLS episode of the show. So if you have any questions about the league, how it's structured, team questions, anything a newcomer would have, send those over because Logan has sent me a few. Uh, I mean, he's he's a little familiar from the MLS's back tournament, but let's be honest, it's not like any other league in the world. There's so many different mechanics that we'll have to go over. Uh, so if you you know, want it to be, uh, if you want it, if you were interested in MLS or you're interested in local soccer, um, give it a listen. We'll try to break it down as best as we can for you, uh, to get you a good primer, 
uh, before the season starts. Um, and we're also going to be breaking down, you know, U.S. men's national team games. Uh, we're hoping to get one out for the game against Trinidad and Tobago at some point, which is going to be on Sunday the 31st. Uh, but, Logan, real quickly before we move on to the rest of Stoppage Time Soccer Show, what made you contact me and uh, about this opportunity, and are you excited? Yeah, so I think uh, watching you watch, I mean, living vicariously through you, um, and I watched some of the MLS playoffs, uh, and I was, I don't know, I, I really like the way that it's going. It's got a nice direction to it. I think it's got a, a fan base that's growing. I do feel like we're on the, the ground floor. <clears throat> At least you're further down on the ground floor than I, but I, I do feel like right now it's not the most popular game in the United States, but I do think with the World Cups that are coming up, I think people are going to really rally around, and, and they've always done that here pretty much, but I think they're really going to see a heavy like wave of people <clears throat> rallying around the MLS and, and FIFA World Cup and, and coming to, you know, when it goes to Qatar, when it comes back to the United States, it... I don't know. It feels like a great time to be stepping into it. Plus, Orlando City had some pretty good success, um, and they're my <clears throat> my club in my backyard. Um, and then, you know, staying put here for a little while and, and having a home team that I can call mine in a city that, that is mine um, was really intriguing to me. But I don't know. I, living vicariously through you, um, again, I think it it spurred me on to to want to watch it. And then when I, when I was watching MLS is back, it was just so much fun to watch that and and enjoy that. And it was in our backyard, but couldn't go, but that's, I mean, a combination of all those things. I decided I was just like, you know what? It'd be cool to do stateside with you. Um, And I had a lot of fun talking U S men's national team. So, Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a perfect fit. So doing stoppage time has been fun. So I said, might as well well do MLS uh, and get involved with that. Can't wait to have you on. Uh, that th- that's a first for you, isn't it? With the uh, having a team in your city, right? Yeah, you were you were kind yeah. of in, uh, in <laughs> Charleston, battery, right? Yeah. That didn't Happy. have well, you did have the battery there, but that was before you were really following soccer at all. But um, you know, your other teams, th- there wasn't like a baseball team there. There's not really a a football team in Charlotte, right? They're up in they're they're somewhere else, yeah. right? Yeah, the Raleigh. Panthers are in Charlotte, and the, you know the the only team that we had we had minor league baseball. Um, yeah, which, you know, it's but the the closest, like you said, the closest major league sport was um, the the Panthers in Carolina. So, I mean, that's and then that's a three hour, three and a half hour drive from where mm-hmm. we were. So just being, I mean, I'm literally twenty twenty five minutes from Orlando's uh, Exploria. So it's it's pretty cool to be right next to a beautiful and, stadium. Yeah, it's, and that's the other wonderful. thing too. Um, but yeah, one of the, well, actually the owner of it, this kid goes to our school. So that's pretty cool. But... Well, let's move into, uh, some big news in the premier league today. Frank Lampard. I woke up to these notifications this, this morning, uh, fired, let go, uh, from Chelsea football club. And, uh, man, there was this damning uh damning uh, uh athletic article that was released uh thankfully my trial was still active i was able to read it because <laughs> um, it, it gave us a lot so we'll go over the highlights of that as well but just uh what was your what was your thought logan uh did were you expecting any, any of this i i thought uh you know they were saying after the lester game if they lost that would be it 
we then got to the Luton match, which they just won on Sunday morning. And, you know, less than 24 hours later, so he's out. Yeah, I mean, I woke up and, I mean, initially, every time I hear Chelsea news, I'm like, oh, my God, Jordan. And then I'm like, well, he's probably asleep because it's only like six o'clock. So uh, I'm up early for school. So it's good because I get the news usually of the week before anybody in the States would because I get up early for work. But <laughs> the, first, the first notification I got, like I scroll from the top down, uh-huh. was about something else and it just like referenced with Lampard going or whatever and I was like wait was that he left he fired and then I kept scrolling and then I got the notification and I was like oh there it is yeah yeah no it's it was weird because I like I I mean I got on Instagram this morning and um because Ashley was taking me to work so I sat down like she she got in the shower so I got on Instagram and I was like Lampard fired I was like what I was like that's weird like what I mean honestly my initial thought was why didn't they do it like they had said they were probably probably going to do it against Leicester. Like, after the Leicester game, why was he not, you know, canned? Like, I thought they said that he would be. I mean, there was a lot of sources that said that he, like, they were talking about it through the game about how he would not be there with um, the club. And and I know you've got more on all that stuff. But, hey, I don't know. It didn't, of course, it didn't shock me. Um, I, I do I do think they'll be better under Tuchel. But the, the initial reaction was like... It, you know, you kind of have like this, man, I feel bad for the guy because he is a club legend. But then again, he really didn't help himself. Um, and I just don't think he's ready for it. I don't think he was ready for that big step that he took. Um, and that's my, you know, that was my initial reaction. And then I had to text you because I was like, there's no way that he probably knows right now because he's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw like that initial uh that initial notification as I scrolled down, I saw your text and then I kept scrolling and saw the initial one. I got at like four or 5 AM that I did not see until I woke up. Um, yeah, I guess let's get into it. I was kind of surprised actually. And I know I probably shouldn't have been, but I was surprised just due to the fact that it had been so long, uh, since that Leicester match was that Wednesday. Cause then Thursday was the yeah. Liverpool match. Yeah. So it was like Wednesday. Uh, but we have answers for all of that. So this is all from the athletic article that was written by, uh, you know, uh, Liam uh, Toomey, uh, Toomey uh, written by Simon Johnson, I think his name is. Uh, a lot of, I think it was like three or four writers for the athletic uh, over there writing uh, this uh, this um, article, and it sounds like you know Lampard's relationship with uh, the one of the directors. Her name is Marina Granovsky. Granovskaya, uh, if I said that right, she's uh, she's uh, I believe Russian, like uh, Abrahamovich, um, was ve- was deteriorating and actually started deteriorating uh, last year during the 2019-2020 season. Uh, earlier this week or last week, Ralph Rangnick was offered the interim job uh, for four months, but he turned it down because it was a short. He didn't he didn't want to take a short job. Calls were also made in recent weeks to sound out RB Leipzig's uh, Julian Nagelsmann before the deal was struck with Tuchel, which we'll get to. Uh, They said here that the Leicester game was the point where they uh, decided enough is enough. And that morning, the morning after, spent time trying to finalize uh, a deal with Tuchel. Uh, Petr Cech was involved in actually talking to some of the newer players' agents as the form of the team dipped. Uh, so 
seems like Czech was kind of in between a, a rock and a hard place there as well. Uh, it it kind of also telling that Frank was not talking to any of the agents or the players at times. Uh, some of the players complained about the lack of tactical instruction and not being spoken to for months. I would assume those would be players that were on the out, outs, like Marcus Alonso um, and uh, players of that caliber. Uh, the desire to sign Declan Rice annoyed all of the uppers in Chelsea. Uh, and uh, do you know why, Logan? No idea. They don't like Rice? They, they're more of like a pasta kind of people? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Good. Declan Good. Pasta is who they want it. It's actually because Declan Rice was an academy kid at Chelsea until mm. like he was 12 or 14, and they mm. thought buying him for $80 million would be a sign of weakness. Yeah. Uh, the dressing room also felt that the manager at some times showed no empathy and were hurt by his public criticism. Uh, Lampard would have walked out at the summer had he not been working for Chelsea. So if it was any other club, he was saying that you know his relationship with the uh, board at that point was bad enough that he would have left if it was any other club than his beloved Chelsea. Uh, Keppo was one of the senior players who felt that Lampard did not provide him with clear tactical instructions or suffer uh, or sufficient support as his confidence disintegrated last season. This makes sense to me because Keppo was not bad against uh, under Sari. He was not awful under Sari. Um, and I even said this on the show when we first started this. Keppo was not the main issue, right? I said that it is the defense and the tactics as a whole that is right. causing some of these issues. And uh, it showed with even having Mendy, yes, it's been better, but he, uh, you know, he's still giving up goals at times that, um, you know, where we're not the greatest defense, you know. Um, <laughs> players began, here's a funny one, players began to grow suspicious of Lampard's job security when one of the members of the backroom staff who was not appointed by Lampard, told some of the players, don't worry, this will be all over in a couple of weeks. Oh, no. <laughs> this sounds like a trade wreck. Like, this is like some Netflix drama kind of stuff. Like, I... is there more? <laughs> like, uh, No, there's, uh, there okay. is more, I guess, but that was, uh, that was most of the summary. Yeah. Some of the other stuff was that... Uh, the only signings in the summer that Frank actually wanted was Ben Chilwell. He did not want really? Kai. He did not want Werner. He did not want um, uh, mm. Mendy or Saar. He didn't want any of those players. Um, now, of course, we've heard from Werner and Havertz that they were convinced to come here by Frank. So people are taking that to mean that Frank wanted them. That's not true. If you, If Frank doesn't want them, and his managers say, well, we're going to spend this money and give you these talented players, is Frank going to say no? And is he going to then not go recruit them? Because that'll make his squad better. Um, you know, he, the only players he wanted was Declan Rice and and Chilwell, and I think he wanted some uh, defender from Burnley, too. I don't remember who it was off the top of my head. Um, but um, they... Uh, He'd also wanted Zayek, but that one was done in February, so that one doesn't count as the summer deals. But out of the six players brought in in the summer, he only wanted one of them. Yeah, and I was going to say Zayek was probably has probably been the best one out of all of them. So I don't, you know, 
this this is a lot worse than I thought it was. I you know I I just watching him like I, the folded arms always does it for me. I think it's <laughs> yeah. That's what I, I told I, my dad yesterday. It makes me want to explode, and I'm not even a Chelsea fan. Like, like, At least Arteta and Pep will be like making motions <laughs> right. on the sideline, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, they get more animated when yeah. it's going downhill. Like Pep They're looks like he's going to gonna start players. kissing people and stuff. <laughs> like I, Pep gets so like I, I don't know his hand gestures are always like he's always all over his face, um, just doing like the, the hand gest. But Frank always just looks like I'm better than this situation. Why are you playing like this? And I think you're right like i think tactically he didn't know what to do he's not always you know i think he's focused mainly on the midfield and you know their midfielders are decent but i I don't think he knows much beyond that i mean that's what it started to appear i mean i don't think he knew how to fix Werner. i'm not sure he knew tactically how do i get somebody that's in such a rut out of a rut the defense was horrible to begin with uh, and I think it was just a matter of playing with each other, uh, you know, and figuring it out themselves. I don't think it was anything Frank was necessarily doing. Yeah, there was also another telling line I'm trying to find here in the article as well. Um, well, did uh, you read you know, what he said? What Frank said? Yeah, that what that he didn't feel like he had enough time. Yeah, he didn't have enough time to, to do. You know, 18 months was not enough time. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because it was built as a three-year project, right. but, you know, uh, he, so here's something as well. The, this is one of the sources in the Athletic article. The problem was the manager didn't talk to the players. Well, only the ones he liked. I know of players who weren't in the team that didn't hear from him for many months. That's very frustrating for a player because you don't know what you have to do to be better or what the manager is thinking. It's crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, the that sounds like our, our former president's agenda. Uh, he's going to make lots of phone calls. He's going to make lots of meetings, and then he's going to be very happy. And it sounds like Frank took that same approach. He's going to coach lots of games. He's going to you know talk to the media, but he's not going to really coach you. That's not, that's not good for his reputation, though. Don't you agree? I mean, I think that that's, that's like a death sentence. Yeah, I mean, they were even saying that the intensity of the training sessions um, were originally – they were responding positively to, um, but then uh, over after their victory over Leeds, which was I think was in December, Chelsea looked fatigued in their displays against Everton, Wolves, West Ham, Arsenal, and Aston Villa. And by the Fulham game in early January, players were expecting Lampard to be sacked if they didn't win. Um, and then in the game, the game against Leicester, the atmosphere in the dressing room already felt like a goodbye. A source says where he was uh, already shaking hands with all of his players. That's interesting. Uh, some I, of them also thought that 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 he was leaving the players to do all of the tactics. That some people, I think, I'm not sure if it's this article or another one. I'm trying to find it, where they think uh, at times he just seemed to tell them to go out and be there be themselves uh without really giving any sort of tactical uh instances and i'll tell you who this reminds me of this reminds me of jürgen uh klinsman uh when he was with the usa he was not known for knowing doing any tactics telling people to just go out there playing players out of position it is very similar uh to that yeah no, i mean it just he lost the locker room i mean from what it sounds like he hadn't had it for months and even his new talent was like what the hell's happening here <laughs> like this has got to be 
I mean, devastating for any kind of coaching that he wants to do in the future. I just don't see where a Premier League team goes, you know what? Didn't do well there. And, it, I mean, it would be different if he was like, we just respectfully, you know, but this sounds like it's had some bad blood and that I, I guess because maybe he felt like Frank was going to go out and say something that this was on the ownership's hands and that this was, you know, there must have been something really toxic between the two towards the end because this just doesn't seem right. Like this this kind of story is like, it's not good for Frank. I think uh, he has to go back to the championship, I think, uh, or maybe a lower Premier League team and, and figure it out. But he needs to he needs to have, you know, his right hand man is is uh, what uh, Jody Morris or or um, usually as his assistant. If he needs an assistant that knows tactics, then <clears throat> that's what they always said about uh, Klinsman. So like when Klinsman was Germany's coach. And they did very well in 2006. A lot of people actually contri- attributed that to uh, Jurgi Lowe, who is now their manager, because he was the guy who did all the tactic parts of um, when Klinsman was manager. And actually, uh, in Philip Lom's book, he really goes in on Klinsman. Uh, and th- and that's what this reminds me of. So if Frank's going to get better, he needs to have somebody that knows either defense or tactics better. Um to be that assistant or to be one of the assistants. If he wants to keep Morris as an assistant, like he needs to be able to have somebody that he can lean on that helps set the team up. But also I find it odd that he would not talk to certain players for months because he, he was a player just a few years ago. You would think he would remember how that feels. And to be honest, while I do feel bad because he's a club legend, I don't feel all that bad because I know he was a part of the same sort of, behavior when he was a player when Chelsea wouldn't play for certain bosses and got and Chelsea as a team got those managers fired you know it comes from locker room coups of uh you know Lampard Terry and and other senior players that would kind of quit on the manager so he knows that players can do that and he's done that at this club you would think that he would have been a little bit more aware of that yeah and like I mean, younger players and and I, I guess just the talent level, I feel like he thought would carry him, but I this is just a, a really bad situation. I, and and I think luckily I think you're getting a manager that is the complete opposite of him, um, just by the the relationships that he looks like that he's had in the past um, with his players. Uh, but to to go and ignore. <laughs> <laughs> like because you don't like Kepa, you go and ignore him. I mean, he's the anchor to that deep. Like, what do you, what do you, what's, what good comes from that? Like, were, were you so set in your ways that you thought you could shake the ownership again as the manager? I mean, I think Frank just wanted. It seems like he just wanted control of everything. He that he, and when he wasn't able to get it, I think that, that bothered him a little bit. So I don't. Uh, yeah, this is tough. Okay, uh, Tuchel got uh you know fired earlier this year from uh psg he clashed with the board about players like tiago silva so he's actually gonna rejoin tiago silva here at chelsea he's gonna rejoin um uh christian pulisic who he actually brought through the senior team at dortmund and he's going to have uh, a language uh opposite of a language barrier uh, uh for kai havertz and um, 
Timo Werner. So I think this is going to be a good appointment. It's an 18-month deal so far. So, look, I'm thinking that this is this is how Chelsea operates, right? They're going to get rid of the coach if things go bad. If Tuchel can give us 18 months and get us a title or get us Champions League, get us Cups, FA Cup, whatever, then I think that'll be a success. Um, you know, maybe he'll be here for two or three years total, but it's just not how Chelsea really operates at this time and probably never will. So eventually they'll run out of managers because they'll go through every single one. But <laughs> I think right now that this is this is a good move. Um, yes, I would have rather, you know, Pochettino, but he's gone. Uh, it, you know, Tuchel's the best one available right now. And um, he can adapt to the squad. He doesn't have this whole like mentality like Pep or Klopp does at times where he needs his players. He will be able to adapt to whatever squad he's given and change the tactics that way. And he is a more tactical coach as well. So that's going to help out with some of these players that feel like they need to be told that. Pulisic did really well under him. I'm expecting him to be able to get Pulisic back in form. I'm expecting that's going to help get Werner back in form um, with the way that they're going to play just and set up. And when players have a clear idea of what they're doing, they're going to be able to do that. I, I was listening to podcasts, uh, you know, and they brought up a good point where this isn't about Chelsea, but, you know, when you're playing um, and you're not told tactics and you're not working on it in training, it leads to you going off instinct. And that's what we've been seeing this Chelsea te- team do. It's going off instinct where Pulisic wants to run at the player or he's thinking, I'm going to make this run. You should pass it to me here. But then the other player is going off his instinct and he says, that's not the pass to make right now. And it's it's leading to confusion. But the way that some managers do it would be uh, what somebody called like a trigger point, right? So when let's say when Pulisic gets the ball at this spot of the field, Werner, you should be heading into the center of the box ready for that pass or ready for that cross. So that every time that Pulisic pits it up at that same spot, Pulisic then knows where Werner's going to be. Werner knows that the ball is going to come in from Pulisic. And then they're not relying on instinct. They're going off of what they worked on in training all the time. Uh, So when you have a more tactical coach that's going to set you up like that, and knows like, hey, when the ball is in this spot, this is what we should be trying to do. When the ball is in this spot, this is what we should be trying to do. They're no longer going to be just trying to force it or trying to go off of their natural instinct. They're going to be going off what they know, and everybody's going to be in the right spot, and you're going to start seeing some of these goals go in, I think. Yeah, I think it's understanding of Pulisic is going to be huge. And that's what, I mean, reading a lot of the articles, it just talks about how Tuchel's comfortable with playing him on whatever wing will operate better for Chelsea um, at times when, when Lampard seems to stick to just one plan. It seems like Tuchel's willing to to kind of reverse that and go the opposite direction if it's not working the way that it does. And like you said, he's he's always been – he's coached pretty much to players. I mean, when you look at it, he's been handed players and he coached tactically with them. Um, and now he'll have one of the biggest budgets, so eventually – as time goes on, I mean, he's going to have a lot more money to spend than he would at PSG. So I think, you know, with the magnitude of the club and, and 
everything that's going on with them right now, I can only see where this is going to be an improvement because I think Tuchel just understands tactically a lot. And, he, you know, he's been around longer than Frank. He, he's coached the bigger situations. He's coached Champions League and been successful. Um, you know, I, I think all of that combined with the, the type of talent that Chelsea boasts. And, and, you know, these are these are experts calling Havertz, you know, a, a top generational player. And, and Frank made him look like a, a wet rag. Um, uh, it just... Everything seems to be good, uh, you know, pointing to good signs for Tuchel, um, at least to take over this club now. Well, according to a Q&A on The Athletic with Liam Toomey, uh, he uh, s- states that their understanding right now is that barring a positive COVID test, Tuchel will not need to isolate due to the UK government's exemption for elite sport and that Chelsea want him in place before the Wolves game, which is on Wednesday. Uh, Tuchel did have a negative test uh, today in Germany, supposedly. So he's probably going to be flying in. He, I, I would assume he's going to be there tomorrow. Um, he's allowed to go to the training and the games, I think they said, with his negative test, because uh, he's going to have to get another negative test when he arrives in England. And then I think for five days, he still needs to isolate when he's not at the training facility and the game. So um, I think that's how that works out. Just an interesting stat before we move on from Chelsea, though, as well. Last season, Kai Havertz expected assist number, okay, was 5.26 in the Bundesliga. And his expected goals, uh, this is per game, I guess, was... uh, 10.01, or I guess that was just for the whole season, actually. Sorry, I don't know. Um, This season, his uh, his expected assists is at 0.83, and his expected goals is at 1.35. Yikes. (laughs) Pretty brutal. (laughs) It's backup quality. Um... It's pretty brutal. Uh. Not much else to say, I think, about this that, you know, yes, Lampard's a legend, uh, but I think you have to separate the player from the manager. He can still be a club legend as a player. He always will be. But it doesn't always make him uh, a good manager. And uh, to be honest, I was listening to talk sport like all day and trying to get what a lot of Chelsea fans were thinking on the radio over there. Um, Some of them were for it. Some of them were against it. Some of the pundits were against it and one of them actually brought up that uh, the only reason his co-host was (laughs) against it was because he's english right because nobody cared when we got rid of sorry nobody cared when we got rid of conte that they didn't get enough time um it's because frank's english and he's frank lampard that people care that he was not given enough time and i get it i had a poster of frank lampard on my wall Growing up, you know, I I understand who Frank Lampard is, and I and I watched him break Chelsea records uh, and Premier League records and lift trophies uh, every time I watched. But if it's not working for the club as a as a manager, and there's somebody like Tuchel available that has connections to some of these players, then that's what has to that's what's going to be happening. And it's unfortunate, but uh, at this point, I'm just ready to see this team hopefully start playing better soccer and uh, 
maybe make a run for that top four. Which I think they're fully capable of. I mean, they're only five points back of the yeah. top four, so they can right. do it. It's two games, you know. But uh, we hadn't beaten the top C, uh, team above us, I think, in the league all season. So, except for West Ham, I think. If West Ham is actually above us now, I'm not sure. But uh, I have to look at the table. Yes, they're the I only just, team I think we beat. <laughs> yeah. And I just have, like, one thought to that, like what you were saying, how you are listening to other people. Do, do you really want, I, like, as a Chelsea fan, and, and you can answer this because you are one, um, would you really want a guy that, that has created such a – I mean, I don't think you come back from a toxic relationship. And, and I'm not saying he was mean to them or he – but he neglected them. I mean, uh, do you really want somebody that's going to sit in there at your manager position, no matter who he is, and neglect, you know, players that many have reigned as being some of the top players in all of Europe? I mean, do you really want somebody that's so sour that that would rather not deal with actually playing better just because it seems to be more work and more, um, you know, capabilities that he doesn't have? Like, I, I just don't see where Chelsea fans. Like I, if somebody they're just like blinded this, by right. club legend status is it. what they are, um, and it probably means more to them because he's right. you know he was there through and through for a long time. They li- a lot of them live right there in the London area, so of course that would probably hurt more. But look, I, I think of it this way: if Cal Ripken came and coached the Orioles and they were having a dismal display, I would want him gone. He can be a good player. He can be your best player of all time. But if he's not a good manager, enough is enough. And, and that's how it is. You know, um, It's unfortunate. I think it was too early. The only reason why we hired him was because nobody else wanted the job after the transfer ban. So, you know, obviously I feel like the board is in the wrong in some of this as well. I think Frank handled some of this stuff wrong as well. When we're talking about you know, buying players or getting into feuds or not talking to the players. Um, but, you know, it, this is how this club's run, and it's run this way because it's successful this way. You know, people might say that Abrahamovich is treating this as a business, but if he was treating it as a business, he would be fine with just making, you know, top four, getting money, and not spending like some of these teams. But he spent during COVID when nobody else was spending and he wants trophies. So if they're not winning trophies, you're gone. And I get that that is uh, not the way a lot of people want this team run. But I would rather have trophies than bringing in just, you know, oh, our youth squad player made the team finally. You know, um, unfortunately, that's how it is. I do want to see these players continue breaking into the team. But I also want to have Chelsea win trophies. Um. I think we can move on from Frank and, and Tuchel at this point. Martin Odegaard is uh, going on loan from Real Madrid to Arsenal. I think that is, I don't know if it's official yet, but it is uh, on its way to official. Uh, he was like this wonder kid, you know, from Norway. I think he signed with Real Madrid at 17. I feel like he hasn't had a lot of chances there anyway, but... Arsenal need, uh, you know, somebody, especially after Urzel just left. So, uh, you know, this will bring in um, a youngster uh, because he's still young, you know, uh, to come into the team and and see how that goes. 
Uh, Jordan Morris to Swansea is now official six months loan to a buy option for about 10 to $12 million reported. Uh, he's also going to be in the squad for the Wednesday match against Brentford. So probably on the bench. Is this a good move for Swansea? Is this a good move for Jordan Morris? And is this a good move for Seattle? I'll get your takes first, Logan. Yeah, I think it's one uh, Swansea, you know, in, in a championship run that could see them up in the premier league. I think that adding this depth, um, cause he played well MLS uh, this last season, um, played pretty well in the playoffs from what I've saw. Um, I think adding any kind of depth at, at any of these stages, especially as you get up into the Premier League, which this could turn out to be a deal that, you know, next year if he's still around um, would be pretty sweet for Swansea and it, uh, turning right around to him. I mean, this is this is what we want. I mean, it, it's sad to see some of these players leave the MLS. Um, but again, I think like what you've always said in text messages and especially since we've just started talking about MLS a lot lately, um, you know, this training ground mentality where, you know, eventually that's going to turn into the MLS becoming uh, one of the premier leagues uh, around the world. But I think until that happens, I'm more than happy to see some of these players go and, you know, get their feet wet um, in, in Europe. And especially when he's not playing now um, and, you know, the, the Sounders are good. But I think getting a chance to play in Europe is, is every kid's dream. Um, he's 26, so, you know, he hasn't had the chance to get over there and really show what he can do and can you imagine if this works out well and he ends up in the premier league and he's you know starting 11 for swansea as they make their way up into the premier league if they get promoted so uh, it's it's a really cool situation for them it's cool for the sounders because i think the more that these teams can funnel people into those programs over in europe i think the more attention that the united states is going to get on youth soccer players i think that you know there's going to be kids growing up that were jordan morris's fans and, and they're going to be going, okay, so well, he's gone, but now I can watch you know, him play in Europe uh, and in England. Um, so that, that, that's pretty cool to them. And I think it, it tells you a lot when Christian Pulisic said that it's you know the more the merrier. Because when youth, and that's what he said, he goes, I was one of the first ones to come over here and have a really good you know, go at it. And now he's fighting for one of the best you know, Premier League franchises that there are. If you can keep doing this, you know, breaking these ceilings, it, it can only get better. And, and that's what these kids are doing over there in Europe. And with all the success that the United States has had this year, breaking, you know, starting 11s and Weston McKinney's playing really well. Um, Pulisic is one of the top wingers in the Premier League. Um, it is. it is. I love it. I think it's awesome. Um, and, and I know that you're a big MLS guy, so you can speak more to the you know, what it means to the league for MLS. But this is this is huge for him and, and Swansea, all of them involved. Yeah, this is, this is where, okay, the reason why this helps the league, right, is just like it does for Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie for the union and stuff. When you're able to establish that pipeline, you can prevent the next pool of sick from going over to Dortmund as a teenager. And what I mean by that is you would show all of the young players like Seattle can go to their, to, to people or Philly can go to their youth, their youth people. Cause I mean, Morris came through as a homegrown player. So did uh, McKenzie and, and Aronson. You can go to people you're recruiting and say, look, if you come here, you can play, you can develop. And then 
you can get sold to the biggest clubs in Europe. Because one of the things we've had is like players like Pulisic or Weston McKinney. You know, McKinney was in the Dallas program and just left before signing a homegrown deal. And what you want, you want MLS to be able to sign those players and then flip those players. So that way, that money is going back into domestic soccer. Because if they just go for a free and join a youth program over in Dortmund or Schalke or wherever they're going, uh, that's that's money that was left here that is just going to go to the pockets of whatever team picked them up, like Dortmund. Like Dortmund got all of that Chelsea money, right, from when they sold Pulisic. But uh, when we look at, like, Brendan Aronson, he just moved over from Philadelphia to the uh, Red Bull Salzburg. When he gets sold from Salzburg to wherever, wherever he goes next, part of that money is going to go to Philadelphia. And Philadelphia also just got five to six million for that as well, you know, that initial move. But there's a sell-on clause. So that's going to help this, you know, league then be able to establish more youth players, more academies, be able to bring in better talent as well. But also when they're able to, it's going to help the men's team as well, the national team, because if you are able to keep churning out these youth products that then go overseas and make it big, then that deepens the pool of the U.S. men's national team and and makes our team stronger uh, and able to challenge for the Gold Cup or make a deep World Cup run maybe actually qualify for it this time, you know? Um, so, so that's my perspective on why this is good for the league, why it's good for Morris. Jordan Morris, his dad is a doctor for the Seattle Sounders. He works for the Sounders. Jordan Morris is Seattle through and through. He had an opportunity to go to, I think Wolfsburg or Werder Bremen. I forget which one it was when he was coming out of college uh, and he decided to go to, uh, he was on trial there as well, but he decided to go with Seattle to be with his family. You know, people always say about, he wanted to be with his dog. He also has diabetes. He needed the medication, you know, keeping everything pretty similar and familiar. And now this is probably his last moment to make a move. And uh, this is good for Seattle because his value is probably only actually five to 7 million as well. But when you add on that high sell-on fee for the rest of the buy option, um, you are able to, um, you are able, to, yeah, they're able to renegotiate it. You know, like it, if you put the fee for five to seven million because that's what he's worth, then Swansea might say that's easy. We're going to trigger that no problem. Let's say they don't trigger the ten to twelve million, but you might be be able to still get eight or nine million. You know, more than the five to seven, especially if he tears it up. Uh, if he doesn't tear it up, then, uh, you know, what? You bring him back here, he continues playing through Seattle and keeps playing well, and maybe wins more MLS Cups. There's really no downside to it. And I feel like this is one of those things where Morris probably went to ownership. He's, you know, he, he's got that uh, where he can, and he's probably saying, hey, you know, I, you know, I chose you over Wolfsburg or Verdebremen, whichever one it was. And uh, I think this is my time to actually leave here. Thanks for the opportunity. Can we work something out? Seattle then also gets with this loan to take off his salary off the books because Swansea's going to pay a salary uh, during a season where COVID is still going to impact their their books. So this is all around just a great opportunity, I think. And I'm looking forward to it.
Yeah, I think too. Like, I mean, you're you're putting him right into the mix of this championship race. Um, should he come back to Seattle, they they look at a player that's going to come back a lot better, probably competitively. I mean, he's already pretty good, and having the experience that he has, I, like you said, I think he's he's got the he's got the ability to go to ownership and kind of just not really demand, but but tell them like, hey, you know, I. I I'd really like my shot. Like I'd, I'd really like a chance to go and see what I can do in the Premier League, possibly. Because um, I, I, I do. I think that if he has success here, which I'm hoping he does, because it seems like the, the trend that the United States players are having lately. Um, I think you know playing in a hotly contested championship, which you know they're only four points if they win their game in hand back from Norwich City. So you know they're in those top two spots who are you know automatically promoted. Um, could even see the playoff from you know that promotion to relegation or the promotional battle um, between them. Um, so I, you know I think it's it's great experience for him. It's great experience for the U.S. guy. It's great experience for somebody that you know might have had some hardships um, early on and, and not being able to have the chance to go over. Um, and this goes back to like I think a point you were making. I mean, do you see the United States uh, being a team? You know, not being a team necessarily, but being teams that that you know, Europe clubs now look to, to see if they can start plucking people off of the MLS teams. Cause I, I feel like that's we're we're becoming one of those, you know, countries like a Germany, like a, a France or something like that, where people are like, you know what, the, there's a hotbed over there and we can start to get some of these pipelines created where it almost feels like we're one of those, you know, transfer noteworthy countries where they're like, Hey, let's go get somebody from the United States because they've had success over here. Definitely, definitely. I, th- I think that, uh, you know, for all the people that give MLS crap, and I feel like it's almost more U.S. men's fans that are just European fans that do, um, than actually overseas people, um, it's, the, you just got to look at what these, who these team, who these teams overseas are buying. They're buying our talented youngsters that are in MLS. It's not a coincidence. It's not like MLS lucked into Brendan Aronson or lucked into Joran Morris, really, or lucked into any of these players. They did their part of developing them. I mean, of course, some of these players were developed by younger clubs before they even had academies, etc. But the point stands that now, uh, when we look at Brendan Aronson, Brendan Aronson has been at Philadelphia since he was a kid, right? Like since he was like 10 and he had Jim Curtin as a coach, like all the way back then when Jim Curtin was the, the youth uh, coach for Philadelphia. So when you have that pipeline that you're establishing and, and you're able to, you know, finally get them playing time. And when they're actually turning out well, it helps to sell them to convince some of those other recruits to do it. But also the teams overseas are noticing that because the level of MLS just keeps getting better every year. Um, Even when you look at players that are not American, let's look at Alfonso Davies, right? He came in from uh, um, Vancouver uh, when he was a young Vancouver player, uh, got sold to Bayern Munich. And now he's one of the best uh, backs in the world, you know? And when you look also at, let's say, Miguel Almiron, right? He he was a top South American player that Atlanta signed and said, if you help us here, we can get you over to Europe. But you can also play for Tata Martino when Tata Martino was the Atlanta coach. Legend, you know? 
he comes in here, he wins MLS Cup, uh, he gets sent over. The only thing that breaks down when it really breaks down is that Miguel Almiron goes to Newcastle, right? And he goes there for like $25 million. But he goes to Newcastle, and I just don't think that's a good fit for him. You know, Atlanta was this nice uh, South American-style football, you know, possession, passing, almost Barcelona-esque at times. It looked really good. And you go to Newcastle, and I get it. He wanted to move to Europe. That's no problem. Newcastle's the one that ponied up the fee. So, of course, Atlanta's not turning that down. But that is where it comes into it still has to be the right fit on the other side. So I feel very good about like Aronson's fit. I actually feel really good about Jordan Morris's fit at Swansea. They don't play with wingers, which is what Morris usually is, but he's probably going to be playing a more like left forward. I think they play a four, four, two usually. So he's probably going to be a left forward. He's probably going to come off the bench a lot. Cause from what I read, one of their best attackers is in already in that spot. So he's probably going to come off the bench, get some starts. You know, there's lots of games in the championship compared to the Premier League. Uh, lots of midweek weekend, midweek weekend stuff. So uh, it's still about fit, and I, but I, I think all you have to do is look at what these teams overseas are purchasing to see that I'm not a fool for thinking these players in MLS are good. I mean, I think that I had seen a lot of Jordan Morris slander on my timeline before this transfer to Swansea. People saying he's not good enough because he's in Seattle, uh, that he would actually be overseas if he was really good. Guess what? You're going to see that now. He'll have to see if he can do it in the championship, you know. But I think the Swansea play and the Swansea ideology is going to be a good fit for him. But if he does well and he deserves to be on the national team, man, I can't wait to see all those people say that they were wrong. (laughs) It's going to be great. (laughs) And also, uh, it's good when these MLS players do get into the national team as well, even before going overseas, because that helps them get the permit overseas as well. Morris is not going to have any problem getting a permit to play for Swansea because he features in a lot of the national team games, uh, which is one of the things you need for a, yeah, they have to come from a top five league like overseas, or you have to come from uh, somebody that features in a certain percentage of national team games. And, that is why some of these MLS players do feature because they're able to, one, they're good enough, but but two, if they ever move overseas, it's going to help them get that permit uh, so we can, you know, have a deep team. Any other questions about that one? Are we good to move on? Good, yeah. All right. DeAndre Yedlin some interesting U.S. men's national team and Newcastle news here. Uh, this was from JordyBootBoys.com, uh, one of the Newcastle fan sites. Uh, some have wondered where Yedlin is, as amid the struggles of the team, he has been one of the better performers in recent weeks. According to the Northern Echo, complications with the player's visa means he cannot play at the moment. So... From what I have understood, from what I've read online, and I don't know how true this is, the rumor is that Newcastle laid off or furloughed a lot of their administrative staff that would have taken care of this visa issue, and the visa expired before they could renew it. Uh, Yedlin can leave in the summer. He can actually negotiate stuff now because his contract's up in the summer. Uh, But right now he can't play because his visa is not uh, 
is not active. They did have Greg Berhalter of the U.S. men's national team manager uh, sending a letter to Newcastle that they are able to pass on to the people that do the passport thing uh, or the visa thing to try to, you know, appeal. Um, man, this club has run so horribly and, and they're getting closer to that relegation <laughs> zone. And I feel really bad for the Newcastle fans because in the summer they were just minutes away from a takeover that was badly needed. Uh, I mean, how ridiculous is it that one of their better performers of this recent month, um, where he thought he was going to be sold in January, but he started performing better. How ridiculous it is it, Logan, that they let his visa expire? It's It goes, I mean, it starts from the top down. I mean, Mike Ashley is, he was out of the door. A disgrace. Yeah, and he's out the door. The fans can't stand him. If you look at any pictures, you can just see the fans are hurling um, all sorts of expletives, I'm imagining, at him as he's sitting in his little box. That you know what's hysterical, in. too? You know how I was telling you I was watching those year-in-review things? Yes. They were having, yes. like, Mike Ashley out banners in the 2007-2008 <laughs> season. <laughs> 12 so years changed. later. Nothing's changed. Um, he just seems like a very not very friendly person he doesn't seem like he manages anybody well and i think that's i mean when you look at ownership and, you, and you've got such a dysfunctional crew at the top you can't help but to think everything that follows it is pretty dysfunctional i mean you're looking at a team that is clearly uh going to be in a relegation battle i don't think there's any question about it i i think they are in such a free fall their defense you know has been atrocious and then you use let yedlin which who has been one of the top ones Bruce looks like he could care less about what's going on. He kind of looks like a shell-shocked manager of just getting he absolutely pummeled. Yes. He get, so they get beat by Sheffield. Then they get throttled by Arsenal. I, I mean, this is getting to a point where it's just laughable. I, and I, I remember doing the whole thing on, you know, reading this whole thing on these this takeover. And this was not like your normal takeover. This was like the magnitude of which City got, like the money that City got, like City Football Group. This is the kind of magnitude Chelsea got. Like this is this was some big money that was getting ready to come in, um, and because of human rights issues and different things, I, I kind of agree with why that you know it, it sucks for Newcastle guys. And I know that there was another you know breeze of of people wanting to come in and possibly see if they can take it over. But at this point, you're touching hot garbage. I think. Like I mean, I look at other clubs and say, which ones can I take? Because I don't want this one. <laughs> this one's broken. Because, um, I mean, there was talks like Ronaldo would be interested in coming over to the, you know, play for new. Like there was a big article written on him in the summer if this takeover would have happened and how much money this guy was going to spend this uh, the the guy from Saudi. So, it you know, I think that just everything that could go wrong for Newcastle is going wrong. And if they were to get relegated, I think you're going to start seeing them sell off the pieces. I'm not sure they'll even have this, uh, Newcastle and Pontine to even play in. So I think it'll be gone. Um, the, this is quickly turned into a big headache and I'm not sure they fix it. They're in 16th place, 19 points out of 19 matches. They're only two points above Brighton in 17th and seven points above Fulham, but Fulham has that game in hand. So Fulham wins a game that would put them only, uh, four points above Fulham. I, I do think that they will survive. I do think these teams below are worse, but it's getting risky. You know, there was earlier this season, what, they were in like a 12th at some point? Yeah. And they've fallen pretty hard. Yeah. 
No, it's just time. It's time. It's hit hit the reset button. Try to find an owner that's willing to buy them. Um, if there's anybody out there, I mean, now now is not a good time to be looking for owners. I don't think. <laughs> I think a lot of people are pretty hesitant. Not unless City buys them again. Like he's got a lot of money for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what oil does, but. Well, let's get into the FA Cup real quick. We got some FA Cup quick hits here. Let me just go over some of these scores, and then we'll talk about some of these games. We had Chorley lose to Wolverhampton 1-0. Southampton knocked out Arsenal. We'll talk about that in a bit. Barnsley over Norwich 1-0. Brighton over Blackpool 2-1. Millwall lose to Bristol 3-0. Sheffield United beat Plymouth Argyle 2-1. Swansea 5, Nottingham Forest 1, West Ham 4, Doncaster Rovers uh, 0, Cheltenham Town 1, Manchester City 3, Chelsea 3, Luton Town 1, Brentford 1, Leicester 3, Fulham 0, Burnley 3, Manchester United 3, Liverpool 2, and Everton 3, Sheffield Wednesday nil, and then today we had Wickham Wanderers take the lead against Spurs, but ultimately lose 4-1 in the last 10 minutes. Um, We do have Bournemouth versus Crawley Town tomorrow, Uh, and then we'll see how it goes. The next set of those games are Wednesday, February 10th after that game tomorrow. So let's just dive in a little bit into these games. The Chelsea-Luton match ended up being Frank Lampard's last match in charge. Uh, Werner cannot even buy a goal. He misses a penalty kick. Uh, he starts trying to rip his shirt. He's frustrated. The body language is not good. But otherwise, he looked pretty sharp. He was making some good runs. Uh, it led to the penalty. He was making a great run. But he just he's unlucky right now as it stands. Um, Cheltenham, one to th- uh, Cheltenham take the lead, right? And then uh, they oh, yeah. almost pull off the unthinkable, but give yeah. up three goals in the last 10 minutes. A lot thanks to Phil Foden uh, with the way that he's Thank playing. Uh, how do you rate this city performance? Um, gritty. <laughs> I, I, okay, so when I was watching it, like it, I, I think people were frustrated, but Cheltenham played pretty well. Like, I mean... They got one guy on there. Uh, forgive me for giving his name. I forget his name. What the heck? Uh, Ben Tozer. So he, this guy, Ben Toza, is like this uh, secret weapon that, I mean, Cheltenham's not playing really exceptionally well in League Two. I think they're like seventh or something. Um, and he, so he, he's got this throw in where he, I mean, he literally starts from about the bench and he launches them. And it's just kind of a, it's abnormal. So people don't really know how to defend against it, like especially Premier League sides that are like, what's going on? Um, this wouldn't even be a thing in the, the Premier League. I mean, this guy can launch it. Um, and, and that's how they get their goal. It's kind of like this miscommunication amongst the defense. Um, I, I guess the biggest concern, like if I was City, uh, you you really do see a big drop off in like, I mean, Chances that Gabriel Jesus should score. I mean, I guess it's kind of like watching Werner play for you guys. Anytime he gets near the goal, and he's had some conversion, um, obviously more than Werner has, but like he's still, he's not like your number one striker or number two for that matter, I don't think. Um, but Cheltenham played really well. I, I give a lot of credit to them. And without Phil Foden, who I think is messy light, um, as I texted you guys. Um, I, I, he's just so good, uh, and the, these type of performances are just ones that solidify it. He took one from 
about about midfield. He takes one and he goes around about six or seven defenders, just dribbling the ball. It looked very messy esque, and then he shoots one right into the leg of somebody that probably would have gone to goal um, had it not hit the defender. But it, it's just stuff like this. You clearly see that Foden's probably our best player besides De Bruyne, and it's it's pretty cool to watch. But again, Cheltenham give a lot of credit to them, man. They played really well, and their little their striker, one of their strikers, Alfie May. He, he's just a little baller. I don't know. It's weird because he's 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 kind of small. I think he's like five six or five seven. But the little dude can just scoot, and he's just so physical. And you can tell that these games mean so much to these little clubs. And, and the manager, I forget the guy's name, but he actually gave a bottle of wine to Pep because he and Pep, I guess, went out to eat or something, or had a had a dinner or something in, in the locker room, or um, were able to connect before the game and after the game. So that's pretty cool because he's just he picked his brain. He just said that he had a conversation with Pep for hours just talking about football. So that's just cool to see. I like these games. It's the magic of the FA Cup. You know, the fact that they were almost out by a fourth tier mm-hmm. team would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, I was starting to root for him at, at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I was the whole time. I was like, come on, pull it off, please, just 10 more minutes. But it's how these things usually go. Uh, and I'll tell you, for anybody that did not watch soccer back in 2012, 2013, I'd say go look at uh, look up Wiggins' run. Um. I mean, they were in the Premier League at that point, but they won the FA Cup in 2013, I believe it was, um, against Manchester City in the final, I believe. Uh, but it, it was one of those moments where I was... It, I had never seen at that point a low team in the Premier League, you know, not one of the big guys win the FA Cup, and it was that's where I really felt the magic. And they were relegated that year too, but it was, uh, but and <laughs> I understand fans were probably upset, but it's also like you won a trophy, you won the FA Cup, that's pretty awesome. Uh, now I don't think they've been back since, so I think that <laughs> might be, you know, but that I, I I would say I would always win, I would always want a trophy over anything else um if you're a team like wigan where you're never going to win an actual trophy usually like you're not going to win the premier league you know winning the fa cup and then getting relegated yeah it's kind of like a good thing bad thing but like you know you could say you beat manchester city in the fa cup final that that's insane you know that that's pretty cool so i'm really rooting for a lower team to win it obviously if chelsea can't um I would love to see, you know, like a team like Everton or Leicester even, you know, like win an FA Cup, um, you know, just somebody different than the than the usual suspects would be really great. And now we know that at least one of those usual su- suspects will not be lifting the FA Cup because Arsenal, the reigning champions, are out. Southampton beat them 1-0. And what most people would think is the last chance for Arsenal to win a cup is gone. Uh, they are in the Europa League, but they did draw Benfica. Um, we'll see how they do against Benfica. But my thought is that that's probably the last uh, chance for a trophy for Arsenal. Uh, what do you say, Logan? I actually think the Premier League. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I don't see Arsenal winning. And Benfica, I think, has played pretty well. If I, if memory, I mean, I can remember them talking about them not being an easy draw, um, and necessarily being a you know because Benfica has players. I mean, Hell City's turned them into the minor league club of Manchester City, so they've got <laughs> players. I think Odomendi's there, um, but. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, this is it for Arsenal. And uh, this, it's going to be a very underwhelming season, which is prototypical Arsenal, I guess. I, I mean, last season he he completes that nice run to win it, but um, it's a little bit of a dry spell here for Arteta. Yeah, they're up to 11th place in the league, only two points behind Chelsea with the same number of games played. Uh, so we'll see how that goes now that Chelsea has made the move with Tuchel. If he can turn things around, that might be exactly what he needed at exactly the right time. Manchester United beat Liverpool 3-2. Uh, Liverpool did score, though, twice, actually. Uh, and more importantly, I think, Mo Salah scored twice. And the reason why I say that is because I know he was kind of going through a spell. A lot of the whole forwards going through a spell. But I think just the way Werner, you see the frustration with Werner that he can't even score a penalty at this point. He's trying to rip his shirt open. Uh, the fact that Salah scored twice, um, I think might be able to propel this team. And the fact that the team scored twice might be able to propel this team to maybe getting out of that funk that they're in right now um, and start making a better challenge again. You know, they did come down to, you know, neat, you know, having some center back issues. Apparently they were looking at Socrates, I think. Um, but he, uh, he's going to Olympiacos. He was just cut by uh, Arsenal. Um, so they're not able to actually get him, but, uh, I I think that it's important that they scored and that it was important that Mo Salah scored. And I think it's important that it was against uh, Manchester United that they scored. You know, yes, I'm happy Chelsea scored three, but it was against Luton Town. I'm not, I'm not too confident that that was, if Frank was still in charge, that that would have propelled us like, oh yeah, even if Werner scores that penalty, sometimes that's all it takes. But he did just score against Morecambe as well. Um and that really hasn't affected his league play at all. So at least Liverpool can take, okay, we didn't play that well against Manchester United the last time. This time they did. And yes, they lost, but they put up a fight. Um, I, I think that this is something to take away from it. I, I do know people are very frustrated right now. Um, I'm sure a lot of Arsenal fans, I mean, I mean, well, definitely Arsenal fans are frustrated, but I definitely think there's some Liverpool fans that are frustrated right now with the way it's going. We'll probably get Matt's take on all of this on on Friday. Um, but with this tough stretch that Liverpool has coming up, I think this game where they played against a Premier League side, where they scored two goals, I think that might be enough to help them kind of get out of this slump and uh, and be able to you know, hopefully carry them through this tough stretch. What do you think, Logan, on uh, both of these teams here and how they played? I mean, I think it's even keel for United. I think it's a game that they uh, will take confidence from in beating Liverpool, especially a Liverpool side that looked better. Like, it looked healthy again. I mean, it obviously they're not uh, literally healthy, but figuratively uh, speaking, I think that they're they're scoring again. Um, most of lot watching balls go through the net or it's just terrifying in, in and of itself. I think once he gets going, there's no stopping him. And he's on that. I mean, what he's our, he's still up there with the golden boot guys after, um, all these struggles that this front has had, um, and to get out early and score to, you know, control possession, uh, their passing looks sharp. Um, their success of pass was really nice. 86%. Um, shots on target was at five. I mean, that's pretty good for Liverpool again. I mean, I, I know there were stretches that they weren't even putting shots on goal 
So when you're putting shots on goal with that that top three that they have, you're going to score a lot. I mean, it, those, that's three really talented soccer players that are up front that you, you just got to get one near the goal um, and, and it'll go in, especially with some of the qualities of keepers that, that the Premier League has. Um, again, I think it's a really nice game for United um, and Liverpool. I think it benefits both of them. Um, I do think that United still might be the better team, but I just think that's in form. I, I think that's pretty much it. Um, their defense, you know, isn't going to stop a lot of goals from these top clubs, I don't think. But again, both both really good games for both of these teams, I think. So after Salah's first goal, uh, Opta Joe posted this on Twitter. Mohamed, uh, Mohamed Salah has scored 19 goals in all competitions, so now it's 20. And 19 was the joint most of any Premier League player along with Harry Kane. Uh, so with 20, and Harry Kane did not score today, uh, that would put him not joint top. That would put him top. So that, that's, a, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good indication there. We had the Rashford-Greenwood combination on fire recently, and Bruno being in form. Uh, it's dangerous, uh, but... I, I don't believe in Manchester United winning the title. I, I do believe City is probably the better team there, um, unfortunately. No, fortunately. <laughs> Let's catch up on some of these EPL games that happened. On Tuesday the 19th, West Ham beat West Brom 2-1. to one. We had Leicester over, City, uh, over Chelsea 2-0. That was uh, goals by Ndidi and James Madison. Uh, who's been terrific this season? Both of them, Ndidi and uh, Madison. Uh, James Madison. Um, <laughs> Wednesday, uh, we had Manchester City two, Aston Villa nil. That was a Bernardo Silva and uh, Gundahan penalty kick uh, goal. Thursday, we had Liverpool nil, Burnley one. As Ashley Barnes got a penalty, eighty-three minutes in, just a rough stretch there for Liverpool. Then on Saturday, Aston Villa 2, Newcastle 0. Ollie Watkins scored in the 13th minute. That was his first goal, I think, in nine games. And in the 42nd minute, uh, 42nd minute, Traore scored. And let me tell you, I was, and I mentioned this to you as well, but I was watching that. Uh, I turned on the EPL channel on Peacock, and they had on this random uh, year in review. It said it was actually going to be about match week 20, I think, which is this one. So I thought it was going to be highlights. But it was actually this random year in review of 2007-2008 season. And then I watched the one after that for 2008-2009. I found it on YouTube. NBC Sports had uploaded all of them on there. And, man, that Aston Villa team back then was fantastic. And uh, they had, like, James Milner, Ashley Young, Gareth Barry. They had a stacked team. They were constantly, like, in the top half of the table at times in the top four until near the end of the season. This is the best Villa side since that 2008-2009 season that we're seeing right now. Ollie Watkins, Grealish, you know, all, all these uh, Triores starting to come around more. I mean, it, it's been such a good team uh, effort and, and they're, you know, the coach has been fantastic. It really is like I remember that's when I started watching uh, soccer in the Premier League. So I always thought of Aston Villa as a good team. And then they kind of, you know, fell apart after that season a bit. Um, they could realistically get in the top four this season. 
Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, if they win their games in hand, they'd actually go above Liverpool as it stands right now. So we'll see how that plays out. But seriously, if you go back, anybody wants to watch those, they're on YouTube, NBC Sports has them up there. Just search Premier League Year in Review, and they have, like, I think all of them from 2000, at least from 2008-2009, though I have found some of the older ones uploaded by somebody else as well. So, um, But I made my own playlist for them in the order of the year, so at some point I'll just be able to put that on and just watch a whole bunch of those because uh, they, they are very entertaining. Um, upcoming matches. Tuesday, January 26th, that's tomorrow. We have Crystal Palace versus West Ham at 1 p.m., Newcastle versus Leeds at 1 p.m., Southampton versus Arsenal at 3.15, and West Brom versus Manchester City at 3.15. And Logan, I'm bringing back the predictions this week. Who do you have in Newcastle versus Leeds? Oh, boy. Um, Well, I'm definitely going to go Leeds because I was just talking poorly about Newcastle. But I I do. I think Newcastle's in a bit of a predicament. I know they've got a lot of defensive problems because of injuries and COVID things. And I I think I saw an article where they said that they're going to be playing pretty much with their backups. Um, So I'm going to go Leeds. And I think Leeds, all they have to do is score to be able to compete because their defense is not going to really stop anybody. Um, but I think against a Newcastle defense that is struggling with, with different pieces now missing, I mean, I think you're looking at a lot of trouble for Newcastle. Um, I think I even saw Jeff Hendrick was playing in the back, um, which is one of their midfielders. So <laughs> I don't. it's not going to go well, I don't think, for Newcastle. And if I correct, it is. or No, it's at St. James. Never mind. Um but yeah, their form, five straight losses, league losses. New, you know, Leeds hasn't played extremely well lately in uh, Premier, but they've been a little bit better than Newcastle. I think New or Leeds wins is probably, uh, I'm going to go 2 nil. I originally wrote a draw 1-1, one, one, but I think I'm going to go ahead. You talked me into it. Leeds 3-1. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, um, playing some emergency defenders doesn't sound like a thing that should be um, too keen for, for somebody <laughs> right. playing its leads. Uh, Wednesday, January 27th, we have Burnley versus Villa at 1 p.m., Chelsea versus Wolves at 1 p.m., Brighton versus Fulham at 2.30. Also, that Chelsea game is on Peacock. Uh, Everton versus Leicester at 3.15. Manchester United versus Sheffield United at 3.15. And while I would love to make it a prediction of Thomas Tuchel's first game, I'm actually going to give what I think is the marquee matchup of tomorrow, oh, of Wednesday, Everton versus Leicester. Who do you got? I'm going to go Leicester. Leicester's playing extremely well, and and, uh, they always play pretty well against top teams, and and I consider Everton a top six or seven team. So, you know, I think Everton is a good side. I think it's a good game. Um, So I think, you know, Leicester's always tended to show up against uh, Everton. So I, I'm going to go with Leicester, um, even though he's at Goodison. Um, fans be damned. Um, but no, I'm going to go Leicester. I'm going to go 2 1 Leicester. That's kind of what I have. I have 2 0 Leicester City over Everton. And then Thursday, we have only one match again. You know, Liverpool's getting used to playing on Thursdays, I guess. We have Tottenham versus Liverpool at 3 p.m. Who do you got? 
So I actually think Liverpool start turning a corner again here. Not saying that they get back to dominance, but I think this will end up being a really big win for Liverpool. I, I just like the way that they match up against Jose's team um, right now. I think defensively, um, they haven't been as solid, um, and especially with Liverpool playing as they did against Man United. I think that Liverpool will get some goals here. And the way that Bale and Son have kind of just gone a little bit quiet uh, is concerning. I mean, quiet for their standards. Um, it hasn't been the Son and Kane connection like it had been. Um, so I'm going to give Liverpool the, the advantage here. Um, I'm going to give them, you know what, I'm going to go 3-1 win with Liverpool. I'm going to go on the out on a limb there. I'm going to go 1-1 draw just from the way Spurs play. Uh, I think I have to go with that. Um, let's look at the current table as it stands right now. Manchester United at top with 40 points in 19 games. Manchester City in 18 games with 38 points. Leicester with 19 games and 38 points. Liverpool in fourth with 19 games and 34 points. Tottenham in fifth with 18 games and 33 points. Then we have Everton, West Ham, Villa, Chelsea, Southampton, Arsenal, Leeds, Palace, Wolves, Burnley, Newcastle, Brighton, and then still in the relegation zone, Sheffield United, 19 games, 5 points in 20th place. In 19th place, we got West Brom in uh, 11 points out of 19 games, and Fulham in 18th place with 18 games played and 12 points. When we look here at the top goal scorers, Mo Salah with 13. Still at the top there. Um, we have, uh, let's see here. What else was I going to look at real quickly here? I wanted to quickly touch on some of these other leagues. Uh, there was a pretty big La Liga story actually today as it's come out that Barcelona actually owe quite a few teams some money. Um, they owe uh, they owe Manchester City and Messi. I think yeah, Gilliam uh, Balog or Balug. I don't know how to say it on Twitter. Says the situation of Barcelona is much worse than feared. Debt is at one point one seventy three billion euros. The urgent debt is at 700 million euros. If they, in transfers, <laughs> in transfers, they owe 196 million euros, including 40 million euros to Liverpool for Coutinho. Players have not been paid some of their wages recently, and the club expects to do so in February. This is a disaster. This is, this might be the spell of Messi at, at Barcelona. Yeah, if you're not going to pay him. <laughs> if you're not going to pay him, um, and you know, I, he's had his tax issues, I think. Um, but, he does. <laughs> but I, I mean, again, this team, like, I am serious. Like, they're not playing well, and they're, they're definitely struggling with fans and stuff because they're not pulling any money in. Um, I didn't realize it was that bad. When Matt said it was bad, I didn't. I didn't realize that their accountant must have just burned the whole damn book and said, "I'm out of here." <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know how you badly mis misrun a club this way. And this is why. This is why. Um, MLS will become king at some point. We already have a whole bunch of players that come here from other countries that have not been paid for a while. 
And and the one thing that they say about MLS is that the checks clear every time. So uh, if you can't even get your pay at Barcelona, and if they're going in debt, which is the big one of the biggest clubs in the world, I think you you know the, the American business model is is what's going to win uh, some people over players, especially if the players if it wins the players over the players don't give a crap about relegation. Uh, I'll tell you that much. They don't care about that. The players would rather stay up in the league anyway, so that doesn't matter. The if they're going to go and get paid, uh, and uh, and MLS is a place that'll do it no problem all the time. And if we see more situations where clubs have these issues over in Europe and other countries, that's that's really going to help propel uh, MLS as well. Because, like I said, the, the, the players don't care about relegation. That's something the fans care about, like having relegation and stuff. Players just want to play. And they want to get paid. And yes, they want to play in the Champions League, which you know MLS doesn't have. But if the, if the Champions League starts losing its... Like Barcelona go into debt and can't have good players, then it's going to lose its luster. When we look at La Liga right now, Atletico Madrid is in first with 18 games played, 47 points. Real Madrid's in second with 19 games played and only 40 points, and Barcelona with 19 games played and 37 points. So they're 10 games back and a game in hand with Atletico. Uh, so Barcelona has a lot of catching up to do. Sevilla's in fourth, Via Real's in fifth, and Real Sociedad in sixth. When we look at Liga Un, we have PSG back at the top now with 45 points, Lille in second with 45 points, Lyon in third with 43 points, and Monaco in fourth with 39 points, and then Rennes in fifth with 36 points. Syria. Ah, guess what? We still have AC Milan up top, 43 points. Zlatan, they all said MLS was retirement league when he came here. He goes to Syria and tears it up, so I don't know what to tell you. Uh, 43 points, 19 games played. Inter Milan in second with 41 points with the same amount of games played. Roma in third with 37 points. Juve in fourth with 18 games played and 36 points. Then we have Atalanta and Napoli in 5th and 6th. The Bundesliga. Bayern Munich just continue to roll on. They're going to win the title. They're 7 points up. <laughs> Don't tell you. Leipzig's in 2nd. Leverkusen's in 3rd. Wolfsburg in 4th. Then Mönchengladbach in 5th. Frankfurt in 6th. And guess what? Dortmund in 7th place. Uh, at the bottom of the table, Schalke's in 18th. Uh, they got their first win a little bit ago. Hoppy scoring a hat trick uh, for Schalke. Um, and he continues to score. Mainz in 17th place and Klon in 16th place. Uh, now, of course, only the bottom two get relegated and then the 16th place team goes into a playoff. All right, I think that about wraps us up. Uh, so, like I said, if you're interested in following MLS this season, season is supposed to start on April 3rd as long as everything goes good with the CBA, um, which they have plenty of time to work it out. Preseason starts on February 22nd. That gives them a month to figure out any sort of issues. Logan's going to be on there with me. We're going to also talk to U.S. men's games as well. But first... We're going to have a beginner's guide to MLS. And if you want to send us questions, like I said, at the top of the show, 
you can go ahead and send them to us. Uh, we do have a new uh, Instagram account for Stateside Soccer Show for us to show off our new logo. Um, that is, what what is that one? At Stateside Show, right? Yeah, that's it. That's the same thing for Twitter, at Stateside Show. Facebook.com, we don't have the custom username on that one yet. I think Logan might have to do it. I tried, it wouldn't let me do it. Um, but facebook.com slash stoppage time soccer show. If you want to hit us up on Facebook, you can even send your MLS questions there and I can go over them or you can email us at stoppage time show at gmail.com. You can tweet the main show at stoppage show, or you can Instagram the main show at stoppage time soccer show on Instagram. Thank you, Logan, for, uh, you know, bringing your insight to this episode and going over, all of the Manchester City side of things. We had a big news day with Frank Lampard and Thomas Tuchel. Uh, I'm very excited to see where Chelsea goes, and we got a lot of games coming up this week, and I'm excited to break them down with you and Matt, hopefully on Friday, as we look ahead to the weekend. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you all next time. Kane has stolen it at the death! Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show and listen to us recap the English Premier League from our perspective. We'll also be talking some Champions League and any other leagues that impact world soccer.